1 Corinthians chapter 8. Now concerning food offered to idols, we know that all of us possess knowledge. This knowledge puffs up, but love builds up. If anyone imagines that he knows something, he does not yet know as he ought to know. But if anyone loves God, he is known by God. Therefore, as to the eating of food offered to idols, we know that an idol has no real existence and that there is no God but one. But although there may be so-called gods in heaven or on earth, as indeed there are many gods and many lords, yet for us there is one God, the Father, from whom all things and for whom we exist, and the one Lord Jesus Christ, through whom are all things and through whom we exist. However, not all possess this knowledge, but some, through former association with idols, eat food as really offered to an idol, and their conscience being weak is defiled. Food will not commend us to God. We're no worse off if we do not eat and no better off if we do. But take care that this right of yours does not somehow become a stumbling block to the weak. For if anyone sees you who have knowledge eating in an idol's temple, will he not be encouraged, if his conscience is weak, to eat food offered to idols? And so by your knowledge this weak person is destroyed, the brother for whom Christ died. Thus, sinning against your brothers and wounding their conscience when it is weak, you sin against Christ. Therefore, if food makes my brother stumble, I will never eat meat lest I make my brother stumble. At first glance, uh, some of us might find today's Bible reading a little bit irrelevant. Uh, I mean, in Corinth, there was multitudes of gods and idols and pagan worship. But at the butcher's shop, it was almost impossible to buy any meat that had not been sacrificed to some kind of false god. Uh, in their community, they didn't have an RSL or a sports club for the hub of the community. They had pagan temples. And, and many of these pagan temples had purpose-built dining rooms so that if you wanted to host a business function or a social function, you'd book a room at the local pagan temple and you'd invite all your guests along. And, and the sacrifice of the day was not only the chef's special, it was the whole menu. Um, in Corinth, it was very difficult to get tucker that hadn't been offered to idols. And this was a very real and live issue for them uh, because this is the culture that the Corinthians grew up in. Be before they became Christians, at almost every meal, thanks was given to one or more of these false gods for what they were about to eat. So, how did the Corinthians handle all this uh, when they became Christians, when they repented of their idolatry to turn to Jesus? Well, as with the church of today, it seemed that there were two distinct lines of thought. Uh, there were those who preached liberty and those who preached legality. Uh, those who preached liberty would say, well, we know that an idol is nothing. It's nothing but a block of wood. Uh, the, the prophet Isaiah made a big joke out of this. I, I love this passage in Isaiah where he, he talks about the, the foolishness of idolatry. Uh, and he talks about how somebody cuts down a tree and half of it he throws in the fire. He burns it on the fire and he uses it to cook his tucker. He cooks his meat and he roasts and, and he eats and he's satisfied. 
And, and also he says to us, ah, I'm warm. Look, there's the fire. He's heating himself up with the fire. And then he takes the rest of it and he carves it into an idol and he bows down to it and prays to it and says, deliver me, you're my God. And Isaiah really draws out the absolute absurdity of this. You know, they're not even smart enough to realise, hmm, half of it I burned on the fire. Uh, I baked bread on its coals. I roasted my meat over it. I know, I'll use the rest of it to make an abomination and I'll fall down to a block of wood. It's just absurd. And we know this. There is nothing real about an idol. There are no other gods. In a couple of weeks' time, Paul will tell us what is really behind pagan worship. It's the worship of demons. But the idols themselves and the meat that is that is offered to these idols are merely building materials and protein. We know this. The pagans didn't know this, though. That they believed that an idol really was a god or really represented the god to whom they prayed. But we know better. We know there is only one god, the Lord God Almighty, and Paul probably quotes the perspective of those who were preaching this liberty when he says, Therefore, as to the eating of food offered to idols, we know that an idol has no real existence and that there is no God but one. For although there may be so-called gods in heaven or on earth, as indeed there are many gods and many lords, yet for us there is one God, and one Lord Jesus Christ. And so those who preached liberty would say, there's no problem with eating meat sacrificed to idols. We know that they're not real. It's just like, we know it's okay to open our cupboard door at night time. There's no monster in there. Is there? Anybody got a monster in their cupboard at home? No. Those who preached liberty may have even felt that they were free to attend functions at the pagan temple and to eat whatever was dished up to them there. So some within the Corinthian church had that view, but others had a very different view. When the Gentiles were first beginning to be saved, a debate arose within the church, uh, which was mostly Jewish at the time, around what laws should the Gentiles be expected to keep? Do they have to become Jews? Do they have to get circumcised? Do they have to keep our food laws? Do they have to keep our cleanliness laws? And so the apostles and the elders met at Jerusalem at what we now call the Jerusalem Council. And this is what they decided. We should not trouble those of the Gentiles who turn to God, but we should write to them to abstain from the things polluted by idols and from sexual immorality and from what has been strangled, and from blood. And it also says that the reason for this was because, well, the Gentiles, they're not the only Christians in the church. The Jews were the most prevalent in the church. Even in Corinth, we should expect that there were very likely Jewish Christians in that Corinthian church. And they didn't want the Jews to be at odds with the Gentile brothers and sisters in Christ. And so the Jerusalem Council said, don't eat meat that's been sacrificed to idols. And that became the rule that many lived by. 
and they knew this is the rule. We've got to keep this rule. So who was right? Were those who preached liberty right? Were those who preached legality right? Should they eat meat sacrificed to idols? Or should they abstain from meat which has been sacrificed to idols? That's the question they were dealing with. We don't really deal with that question much today, do we? At least not here. They do in other places of the world. But the way that Paul answers this question is what makes today's Bible reading so very relevant for the church in every culture and every time and makes it relevant for us here today. He basically tells them you're both wrong. You, you, you think that you have knowledge, and we all know in part, but you think that your knowledge is greater than what it is. The way that you're using this little bit of knowledge that you have is evidence of how very little we know at all. You claim that you know what is right. Some of you might claim that you know what is wrong, but by the way that you're treating your brother as sister in Christ, it's obvious that you know nothing. He said this kind of knowledge puffs up, but love builds up. The evidence of their only partial knowledge was the lack of love and the lack of concern that they had for their brother. Now, I think at this point I'm going to have to press the pause button uh, because before we go on, there's a very important distinction that needs to be made. The issue of whether somebody ate meat sacrificed to idols or not was not a moral issue in itself. Uh, Paul is very clear on this. In verse 8, he says, Food will not commend us to God. We're no worse off if we do not eat. We're no better off if we do. All right? So this issue was morally neutral. In itself, there was no right or wrong when it comes to eating meat which has been sacrificed to an idol. And so we cannot take what Paul says here and apply it to issues that are moral issues, such as lying, stealing, murder, unforgiveness, adultery, gossip, slander. All of these are moral issues. Christians are forbidden from doing these things always. It's never okay to lie. It's never okay to steal. It's never okay to murder. It's never okay to be unforgiving. It's never okay to sleep around. It's never okay to gossip. It's never okay to slander because the children of God have the spirit of God and God's spirit living in us will have no part in this way of life. And these are just a few examples. But what we eat is a morally neutral issue. Other morally neutral issues might be whether you do any work on a Sunday or not. We're not forbidden from doing work on a Sunday, but some feel that we shouldn't. And whether we wear a coat and a tie to church or not, not too many on a day like today in St George, is there? Um, there's no reason why you have to wear a coat and a tie to church, but if you go to Tonga, you'll very quickly realise that it's an expectation, and you should. Drinking alcohol is a morally neutral issue. It's not a sin to drink alcohol. It's a sin to get drunk 
But drinking in moderation in itself is morally neutral. And yet some feel we shouldn't. Uh, whether somebody joins the army or not is a morally neutral issue. It's not a sin to join the army. It's not a sin to go to war and fight for your country. But some feel that we shouldn't. Right? So what Paul is teaching us here only applies to morally neutral issues. And what's he saying? Well, he starts off by saying, really, this kind of knowledge puffs up. But love builds up. In Corinth, those who were inclined toward liberty were quite right. An idol is nothing. And they knew that they had the liberty to eat whatever meat they bought from their butcher. It, they didn't have to worry about where it came from or who killed it or why they killed it. And so they thought that they had it all sorted. And their knowledge puffed them up. We have the right to eat this meat. And those other people who didn't see it their way, well, those people, they're, they're, they're weak Christians. They don't know what we know. If only they knew what we knew, then they'd be right too and they'd be able to eat it as well. They'd have the same liberty as what we did. If only they're as enlightened as what we are. And Paul says, you think you know stuff. You know nothing because you're not loving your brother. Love limits liberty. Yeah, they did have the liberty to eat the meat, but not if it was going to harm their brother. You see, not everybody saw it the same way as what they did. There were new Christians there who had just come out of a life of idolatry. For them, the worship of other gods was still very fresh and very real. At this stage, they were still unable to see an idol as being merely a block of wood. To them, it was much more than that. To them, that was the God that they had left behind to turn to the one true God. To them, it still maintained, to, it still continued to be a means of worshipping false gods. To become a Christian, they had recently repented of their idolatry. They had to leave all of that behind and begin a new life following Jesus Christ and Christ alone. And so they were unable to eat meat that had come from the pagan temple because in doing so, they would have been going back to their old way of life and they would have been worshipping those pagan gods. And so Paul says, you might know that an idol is nothing, but it's not nothing to everybody. Verse 9 says, But take care that this right of yours does not somehow become a stumbling block to the weak. The principle, love limits liberty. If you, in your puffed up knowledge, go and eat at the pagan temple, and a newer or a weaker Christian sees you doing it, if that causes that weaker Christian to go against his conscience and to also eat food and in doing so enter into the worship of idols, you've destroyed your brother. Are you aware that by exercising our freedoms, it's possible to destroy a brother or a sister in Christ? 
And worse than that, when we sin against our brother or our sister in Christ, we're not only sinning against them, we're sinning against Jesus Christ himself. Now, I'm going to leave the issue of food offered to idols at this point, and we are going to pick it up a bit more in a few weeks' time when we get to chapter 10. But what, what we're going to focus on now, though, is the principle of love limits liberty and how we can apply it today. Sometimes churches make unnecessary rules that make it harder for new Christians to fit in. Likewise, sometimes the exercise of our freedoms by those who are stronger make it harder for those who are weaker to resist temptation. Let me just give you one example. In our culture, I reckon a very good example to use would be the drinking of alcohol. Uh, some people claim to have the knowledge that drinking alcohol is always wrong. That's not what the Bible says, by the way, but they claim to have this knowledge, and this knowledge puffs some folk up, and they expect everybody else to follow the rule. But this expectation simply adds another legality that God has not put there. And so those who promote liberty might claim to have the knowledge that it's not wrong to drink alcohol, that it's our right to drink alcohol. And their perceived knowledge puffs them up. And to a certain extent, they would be right. It's not wrong to drink alcohol, but but what if we had an alcoholic in our church? Or what if we had a new Christian in our church who was never able to just stop at just one or two drinks but had the habit of getting drunk? Would it be right for others in the church to drink alcohol in their presence? No, it wouldn't. Because love limits our liberty. It wouldn't be right for any of us to drink alcohol in their company. It wouldn't be loving because it's putting a stumbling block there in front of them. It's increasing the temptation that they have. And so living as a disciple of Jesus is not about standing up for our rights. It's very often about giving up our own rights when it's the right thing to do. It's about sacrificing our liberties for the sake of our brother or our sister in Christ. Knowledge puffs up. Now, I don't think that means all knowledge puffs up. But when we perceive to know something that others don't, and then we begin to judge others by that perceived knowledge, and it becomes a thing of pride, and it puffs us up. But love builds up. When we get to chapter 13, we, we get to that wonderful passage on love where Paul says, even if I have all knowledge and have not love, I'm nothing. You see, if love for our brother is what's missing, we've missed the most important part of knowing God. It means we know nothing about God. 
God isn't interested in how much we know, by the way, which is a pretty good thing for me because I, I actually don't know that much. God wants our love. When we love God, we're known by God. That's the knowing that counts. Not that we know all about God. We could never know all about God. But God knows us. In 1 John chapter 4, it says, If anyone says, I love God and hates his brother, he is a liar. For he who does not love his brother whom he has seen cannot love God whom he has not seen. And this commandment we have from him, whoever loves God must also love his brother. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we thank you for your great love. We thank you for the little bit of knowledge that we do have about you. But we pray, Lord, that that knowledge would never puff us up. Lord, please forgive us for when we have been puffed up in pride. Forgive us for when we have not loved our brother. Forgive us for when the freedoms and the liberties that we've taken have made it more difficult for our brother or our sister to not sin. Lord, this chapter today makes it so clear that if what we believe we know causes us to not love our brother, we know nothing. And we pray for this church of Bush Disciples that we would always love one another, that we would give up our rights, that we would give up our liberties if needed for the reason that we love our brother or our sister in Christ. By your Holy Spirit, please help us to know if liberties that we currently exercise add to the temptations of someone in our midst and help us to never put up unnecessary barriers that prevent new people from coming to Christ. And Lord, may we know the blessing of being known by you. Our minds are incapable of knowing everything about you, but we take comfort in the fact that you know us. We love you, Lord. Please help us to demonstrate this love for you by loving our brother and our sister in Christ. Amen.